0: And they said, you know, we think we can sell them on our mission. And so I responded, I was like, yes, I'm sure you can, but not if that's your goal. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. If you've listened to this podcast for more than 10 seconds, you know that my entire goal is to get you to schedule more visits. Most major gift fundraisers fail in this industry because they do not do the difficult, scary work of scheduling visits with the right people consistently. The majority of my success in major gifts came from constantly seeking to become as effective as possible at scheduling visits. I read tons of sales books, watched YouTube videos from sales experts, and studied Jerry Panis's materials on the matter. On top of that, I practiced. The things I learned from experts gave me the confidence to actually make the calls. Today, I have a great resource that I highly recommend you download. Greg Warner from MarketSmart, this episode's sponsor, has put together a guide to help you schedule more visits. It's titled, Top 10 Tips for Landing More Meetings. Not only does Greg run a company that enables major gift fundraisers to be more effective, but he is a successful entrepreneur that has scheduled countless meetings and been on the receiving end of many people trying to schedule meetings with him. He knows a thing or two about this subject and provides 10 great tips, starting with a quote from someone you know I talk about on this podcast all the time, Jerry Panis. Greg is the real deal, and this guide will help you schedule more visits. Go download it now at imarketsmart.com forward slash more meetings. That's imarketsmart.com forward slash more meetings. The bonus tip, number 11, is my personal favorite. Let me know what you think. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to One Visit Away. Took last week off, as you can see. Still uh, lots of transitions going on, making this switch over to full-time consulting, but glad to have this episode out with Patrick Belcher. Patrick uh, wound up finding the podcast a few weeks ago, binge listened to a variety of episodes and had some stuff he wanted to share. He comes into the fundraising world from a long career in sales and then was working with the Red Cross for a couple years, now is a fundraising consultant and has some great stories to share with you today. So I hope you enjoy this great episode with Patrick Belcher. And guys, as always, if you're enjoying the episode, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts and share the show with other development professionals. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, Patrick. Thanks for being here.
1: Happy to be here, Kevin. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: So yeah, if you could, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do.
1: So I I am one of those people who fall in the, the great realm of nonprofit consultants. Um, I, I, the name of my firm is PB and J Marcom. Um, it's, it's meant to elicit the, the image of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, but it comes from, I'm PB and my son's Jay. So somebody made that joke when he was born and it's kind of always stuck with me. Um, and, and I, uh, I stepped into the world of fundraising by accident about 10 years ago. My, my start in my career was 20 years of professional sales. So I, I got all the awards, the trips, all the nice bonuses, but I, I, I got tired of the um, challenge between the service and sales side. Um, and my background was in PR. So I wanted to go out and do a PR firm, but I ended up being a fundraising firm. Um, and worked for the Red Cross for two years in the midst of all that, and um, it really taught me the value of my sales and fundraising, mm. uh, my sales background and fundraising. So, um, yeah, for sure. But yeah. I, I, you know, you, you like stories. I hope I have a couple that entertain you.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love stories, and you sent over some great ones. Um, so yeah, if you want to just to jump into, you got one involving chicken tenders, which uh, <laughs> always excites me. And uh, we could start there.
1: So, I, I, and I, of course, I'll change the names to protect the innocent, but um, we'll, we'll call him Harry. Harry was a, a longtime donor of um, the organization that I was working with and, and uh, was on our board, had chaired a capital campaign. Um, but he was getting up in years, and I—he was somebody that was transferred to me from somebody else, and I got to know them really well. And, and so I, I typically brought over donuts, and it was like, you know, they were the seven a.m. meeting. Um, they, they, you know, they'd probably been up for two, two and a half hours by the time I got there, um, and they loved the sweets, the donuts. But this time I, I came over. And it was rare that we had an event that was near a disaster event near our area. This was one of the times that we did have a disaster event. So I was planning on going over and making an ask, you know, it it was enough of a comfortable relationship that most of the conversations were, um, you know, just general check-ins and they gave to us regularly. So it it wasn't that big a deal. It was about maintaining the relationship um, and getting, you know his whole family to to be supportive, but this day I was planning on making an ask, and when I set the appointment, he said, "Would you mind coming a little bit later?" And you know, my daughter brought these great chicken tenders from Hardee's. <laughs> Would you bring those? And I was like, "Sure, whatever you want." <laughs> um. So you know, I came over and I was getting ready to make the ask, and and he very. I don't know if he figured it out or or whatever, but he very quietly just kind of set sit me off and said, listen, you know, I'm not gonna be able to support you like we have in the past. You know, I'm getting older. We're trying to arrange everything so it's easier on our kids. We've got to think about medical situations. I'm just not gonna be able to ask you. So bummed. Um, but we kept on having the the meeting and I can't remember how the, the situation went, but we got talking about his will. And I kn- and because we had a robust system that talked about everything that about this donor, I knew that he had included us in our yeah. will. And we got into talking about cleaning up things and making it easier for um, his kids. And they must've had a dozen and a half charities in their will. Yeah. And I said, well, You know, how would you feel about making the gift that you included in our will at this time so you can see the efforts? Because, I mean, he was he was disheartened in having to tell me that he couldn't give to us like he typically had. Yeah. But through the conversation and again, I can't remember if it was my suggestion or his suggestion, but he was able to make this huge gift that Mm. filled the need that I needed you know, cause I, I was either going to ask for five or $10,000 and he gave me a much bigger gift than that. Yeah. Um, but I also empowered him. I made him a superhero that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that's one of the biggest values of just getting to know and engage with your donors and, and, you know, make all those little notes that seem so unimportant in their donor files, mm-hmm. but really can be a value.
0: Yeah yeah for sure yeah the these types of things it's uh at this point it seems incredibly redundant because it's the whole purpose of the show but like this is why visiting with your benefactors is so important because you just never know if you're not if you're not regularly communicating one-on-one with your benefactors and exactly what you said like listening to the things that they tell you and taking note of it in the database and mentally Um, you're just going to miss out on tons of opportunities.
1: And, you know, and again, it's about trying, you know, the, the change in their demeanor, because it it was a husband and wife and being able to do this versus, you know, they were prepared to kind of let me know, Hey, they were changing things, just their demeanor, you know, it. I'm sure their health that day was much better than it had been. So you know yeah. and it's and it's fun. It's it's so much fun when you get to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Man, I love the uh it's so cool they uh made the request for the the chicken tenders. What a what a simple uh what a simple request, but um clearly very, very meaningful to them.
1: Well, and that's the thing. You know, one of the favorite stories that I love to tell from my days at the Red Cross, um, was I had an MGO that I worked with that was absolutely amazing. And he had a great relationship with the disaster team. So when there was a fire, which there always were, he would go out and he would kind of crawl through and, you know, with the people who we were helping. And find like a burnt frame or sometimes, you know, one time it was a burnt cross, you know, but just something. And he had these little zip ba- Ziploc bags, the, the really little snack bags with a little yeah. um, thing that he had stapled on it that said, to this family, your gift made a difference. Yeah. And, and he would put those little embers in those Ziploc bags and when we would go visit major donors. He would bring it out and he would present it to them. And, you know, these are people who gave just unbelievable amounts of money and had all these, you know, Lucite and Glass awards from all these nonprofits. And in the front, and probably the thing that got talked about most was this little Ziploc bag with this charred piece of wood in it. Yeah. And, it you know, I, I, I talk to my clients all the time about mm. Use what you have. You don't have to create something new. You know, the ability to invite people to, you know, 25 or 30 minutes before a graduation or an art show to meet with the artist. You don't have to do this whole separate event or this whole Mm -hmm. special thing, you know, that requires all this additional planning and, and everything. Get, you know, just use what you have because that's really talking about the impact that these yeah. amazing organizations do every day and it's it seems very ordinary to them but to the people that support them it's extraordinary
0: yeah yeah that's phenomenal and you know it, it just comes back to a conversation I was having with someone yesterday about um like p- the reason that is so powerful with that that gift officer was sharing with those benefactors is because it makes, it makes the, the work that they're giving to become a reality. And it's like, they can see that, you know, one individual was, was helped in some way because of my gift. Like it's, it's that one person that we know we can help. That's much more meaningful than, well, let me show you this, uh, detailed uh business plan that talks about how we're going to impact 35 million people or something like that like that's great and people people need that in some capacity but that like one life changed that you can like hold and see is is so powerful
1: it really is and, and you know again you understand that Giving is very much an ego thing, and, and nobody likes to admit it. But it's it's about the warm feels and fuzzies that we get, and, and making that act of a gift. Um, and you know that's the reason why people give a lot of times is because, in some way, your organization touches somebody that they know, in some way. You, you know, I work with a lot of addiction and recovery groups you know, and one in three households are affected by addiction. So the chance that somebody knows somebody going through alcohol or drugs or whatever any of the addictions are is very real. So when they give to that organization, they're seeing them helping, you know, their neighbor, Jennifer down the road, or, you know, their niece And, and, you know, it's, Again, it gets back to knowing your donors and understanding how they're impacted by their gifts as, as much as they're impacting others.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's let's jump into uh, your second story. Let's see. This one has to do with a soup kitchen. Could you could you share that one?
1: Okay, so that's that's talking. That's the one talking about the pulling the, the nine months report. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So one of the helpful tricks that I, I work with my clients on is, you know, becoming proactive versus reactive. You, you know, we we do a lot of reaction in the fundraising world. You know, there's a crisis, there's something going on, but getting ahead of and this this goes into the whole donor retention thing, but. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I ramble a lot, so feel free to cut No, me off, no, right? <laughs> you're
0: doing great.
1: <laughs> but so I, I tell my don't, my clients to pull the nine-month report. So go through the gifts that were given nine months ago so that before you're hitting them up again, you know, at the, oh gosh, I forgot that you gave us a year ago, yeah. let me do a, a yeah. quick reaction. Yeah. is to pull this report and we pulled this report and there were all these memorial gifts um, for one of the volunteers. And I sat down with the executive director and they had um, turned that money into a garden that was out back, that, you know, they used to feed the people and also some of the, this, this was a homeless soup kitchen and also some of the people who took advantage of the soup kitchen could also grow their own vegetables and, you know, all that stuff. And an Eagle Scout had come and really built it up and turned it in just to a beautiful landscape and and project and all that. And I said, well, did you ever have a conversation with the family about this? Mm -hmm. And of course, the answer was no. And, Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I think we need to go just have a conversation with them and let them know what, you know, the fact that this volunteer who had been involved for like 30 plus years was still impacting. And so, you know, the the husband had moved in with their daughter. Um so we took a picture of the um with the Eagle Scout holding the sign and the executive director, you know, right there in front of where the whole garden was and we said, you know, we they got I, I want to say it was something like $1400 in donations that allowed them to really build up this garden and all that stuff and you know, Um, we went there and we thanked them for, um, you know, honoring their, their loved one by recommending donations to the organization. And we were all sobbing through it, you know, just telling all Mm -hmm. the stories. So, I mean, it it was just a great engagement Mm -hmm. and I was walking in and they were opening up the mail and literally the, um, they sent a beautiful thank you note and then it was a check for $1,400 hmm. to say, hey, please keep this going. Yeah. You know, and this volunteer had never given, you know, other than maybe some cash in their tip drawer or whatever. Yeah. Had never really made a gift. And of course, because nobody ever asked her. Yeah. But, you know, it's amazing what just having those conversations does. And, and you know, paying attention to those little things like, you know, remembering to say thank you because right. they said you know instead in lieu of flowers please give to this organization it's mm. you know um it makes a huge difference
0: yeah for a- sure. a-
1: and you know i love telling those stories
0: yeah yeah that's <laughs> phenomenal yeah
1: i mean it's just all about
0: yeah just getting to know people and letting them know you care and showing them that their, their gift matters. And yeah, it's, it's,
1: (laughs) it's that. I'm going to go back to, I I think you were talking and reviewing many of your podcast. I think you talked to Andrew about this, about the, the dissonance that happens and setting up those meetings, how, you know, um, there's all this dissonance that happens with why these meetings never happen. And, and mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I think is so great about kind of your introduction is that you talked about you practiced mm-hmm. and, you know, practicing, sitting up these meetings, practicing kind of walking through these meetings and knowing how to talk about things. Um, we do a real disservice to our profession because we don't, you know, in sales, we, we, when I was a sales manager, you know, Monday mornings, somebody was practicing and role playing with me. We don't do yeah. that enough in fundraising. Yeah. You know, it's, it, and it's, it takes care of that distance because it builds confidence. Right. You, you know? Yeah. It's,
0: yeah. And, and that's the thing. So it's interesting. Um I think part of the reason people don't practice and they don't role play in nonprofits is because they don't have anybody that could help them with it. Like, like what I mean by that is, you know, many organizations, you might be the director of development, meaning you're the one person who is responsible for all fundraising activities. And so, and like the executive director knows nothing about raising money nobody on the board does or anything so it's like who are you even gonna who's gonna show you what to do and who's gonna who's gonna practice with you so people are just like off by themselves with no direction and no idea what to do and that that's why i'm so passionate about uh you know getting external help i think hugely just like I think sales books are a great place to start because people have been doing this for longer on like knowing how to schedule meetings and then two, hiring professional counsel to like teach you. This is how, this is how this is done effectively. Cause I mean, if you can't schedule visits with people, none of these stories that have occurred on my podcast happen because they require being in front of people. So I think it's a hugely under, uh, not enough attention is given to this topic, i think
1: well and, and it's you know again there's there's opportunities abound if you just slow down and look i mean if you're if you're in a human services organization and there's a intake person and case managers are amazing interviewers mm. you know, and it, help them uh, you know if you say, "Hey, would you practice role playing with me?" Yeah. Well, not only will they help you learn how to kind of dive in and and learn more about your donors, you're also helping them understand more about what you do. So next time you ask for help or whatever, and it's it's all about building that culture of philanthropy. And and um, but I, I mean, there's resources. And then, like you said, a lot of times there's one person in the shop. Well, guess what? There's lots of nonprofits with one person in the shop. When you go to a conference, find someone, connect with them, and and yeah. you guys bounce off each other. Um, I mean, the, the opportunities are everywhere. And as you said, um, as a pitch for for our line of work, you know, outside counsel is great in doing that. Um, yeah. and, and you know, I, I love the eye roll when I say, "Okay, we're going to role play." Um, yeah. When I when I sit down with you know, especially new fundraisers and everything. And they're like, "Well, I would say something like this. No, you're not going to say. You're going to say we're going to role play. You're going to say right. it, and I'm yeah, going yeah. to respond, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I'm going to set you up for success. I'm not here to try and kill you on everything. Yeah, I'm going to give you a little <laughs> bit of pushback, but I want you to win. You yeah. know, it's it's kind of like the you know the parable of the dad with the two dads that want to create basketball players. One starts mm. with the playtime." Basketball net. The other dad starts with the you know regulation mm-hmm. net, yeah, yeah, and the one that starts winning all the time is the one that's way successful ten years down the road versus the one that could never make the shot, right. never follow through on it. So yeah, um,
0: exactly. So yes, yeah, sp- speaking of all this, I am uh, man, it's sometime in sometime later this month. I d- I'll put a I'll put a link in the description of the this episode, but I'm doing a a webinar with our uh, sponsor market smart. I'm doing a, I'm doing a webinar on how to schedule visits effectively. It's basically uh, it's titled something like why I used to suck at scheduling visits and <laughs> everything I learned over the, uh, the next seven years. But uh, yeah, it, check that out and uh, sign up for that. It'll be free and uh, hopefully entertaining at the least.
1: <laughs> well, I, and uh, yeah, no. And, those are the other things there's webinars abound. So, you know, sign up for those. And then there's great books too. Um, yeah. I'm putting out a book in August, everything done before asking for money and as dedicate a whole chapter to training yourself and setting up those appointments.
0: Yeah. So, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So let's, let's get a little bit more into your book in a minute, but you've got a, you've got a, a great third story here. Uh, back in your sales days, uh, working at enterprise, I think.
1: Yeah. So I, I worked for the part of enterprise. I got rid of the cars after we were done running them. And, you know, so we just focused on selling cars. We worked with credit unions to do the financing. And I, I was always the guy that I wanted to go after the whale. So Literally down the street from where we were, we had one of the 10 largest credit unions in the country. Um, So I, you know, I used a referral connection. I got in and did the whole top-down scheduling where I I spoke with the, the president of the credit union. She put me in touch with their loan VP or loan manager. Bill did not want to meet with me. Absolutely did not. But, you know, the president said he had to meet with me. So he said, I'll give you 30 minutes. And so I got the appointment. And, you know, this was one of the ones that I didn't want to screw up and I didn't want to be blamed for anything. So I made yeah. sure my boss came with me. <laughs> and so we went and um, like we were just talking about, we role played kind of the meeting a couple of times to make sure we clearly understood what I was going to talk about what he could talk about. Um, and if these questions came up, it was in his wheelhouse. If these questions came up, they were in my wheelhouse. Yeah. And so, you know, we had probably three hours worth of material planned, um, knowing that we only had 30 minutes. But, you know, we, we went to our roots. And listen, everybody's favorite subject is themselves. <laughs> So we decided first thing we were going to do was going to get Bill talking about himself. Mm -hmm. And so we went in and we, we went through all the gatekeepers and finally, you know, Bill walks out and he's kind of looking at me like we both had tails (laughs) and, you know, we, we were two young guys in suits, ties, um, And we sat down with him and he said, you got 30 minutes. And he said, we've never endorsed a dealership. I don't see us endorsing you. And so I said, well, Bill, can you tell me why you don't believe in endorsing dealerships? Mm -hmm. You know, and again, he was immediately set off (laughs) and just kind of started talking about us. And I said, you know, so what's your experience? And he told us all about his experience and how much he knew about dealerships and and blah, blah, blah. So 30 minutes into it, we still hadn't even started talking about our program. We went on for another hour talking about it. He, at the end of an hour and a half, he couldn't go on any longer. So we scheduled the next meeting and he loves telling. And and afterwards, obviously we got the the deal. They were a multimillion dollar partner of ours. Mm -hmm. Um, but he loved telling the story of his first introduction to us because mm. he said, you know, when I knew yeah. that I was going to be meeting with the dealership, I expected guys in laser sheets and plaid coats yeah. um, with, with, you know, gold plated cufflings on them. <laughs> and that's not what I saw from the first thing. And, you know, and he goes into telling about how, you know, they really wanted to learn about the credit union and why the credit union existed and about our members before we even started talking about, you know, representing their cars. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he said, and man, I tested these guys. I did Mm -hmm. this. I did that. I sent one of um, the people in our office over to go just kind of competition shop. They weren't supposed to buy a car, but they ended up buying a car because it was such a great experience. (laughs) Um, So, you know, he did everything to try and, say, no, I wasn't going to be a partner with these guys. And and he loved telling that story. And, you know, we went, we traveled all around the state, telling this story to people. Um, And he was a, he was a great friend on top of that afterwards. Um, So, you know, and, and we lost him about 10 years ago, but again, just um, a, a great, great relationship that again, you know, not to sound like a broken record, we had practiced, we, we we knew what we were going to talk about, and and we listened, yeah. Um, and that and that was huge,
0: yeah, for sure. So yeah, this is such a key. This is such a key thing there. What? Okay, sorry, I've got several thoughts going on in my mind. So again, a, a conversation I was having yesterday about someone they were telling me, you know, they're working for a nonprofit, <laughs> very new to fundraising. And they were telling me about this person who I happen to know who this person is. And it's, it's a prospective benefactor for them. And they're like very wealthy, you know, big time, extreme levels of wealth. And they had an opportunity to go on a visit with this person. And they said, you know, we think we can sell them on our mission. And so I responded, I was like, yes, I'm sure you can, but not if that's your goal. And you know, brings us back to, to your point. Like The reason that guy trusted you guys and did the deal, and this is why people like me say sales and fundraising are almost identical, is that in both scenarios, if your objective is, I'm going to tell them how awesome we are, I'm going to tell them why our business is the best business. This is the best deal for you. I'm going to tell you we're the best nonprofit. If that's your approach, which is what people wrongly assume sales is, you're going to fail. But if you come in, in either sales or major gift fundraising, saying, how can I understand this person? How can I you know, better understand their needs? Why do they think the way that they think? And then when I understand all that, if our mission can help them solve their problem then i'll present the solution that's when good things happen in both scenarios so great work on that on that meeting because yeah if you would have done the typical bad salesman and also typical bad fundraiser approach of hey sit down listen to how awesome our cars are whatever you wouldn't have gotten that deal
1: no and you 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 know, you you talk about a great point there. When when the money's more important than anything, you're gonna fail. You know, when when you make sure it's about the mission. But um,
0: yeah, I think your point. So your point, you know, if the money's the most important thing, you're going to fail because. So I'll I'll just run with it for a second, and then you can pick it back up. But um, yeah, in both scenarios, the the fundraiser who isn't closing any deals and is about to get fired. Like they don't they can't uh approach a visit with a benefactor um in a way that they're truly trying to help the benefactor. Same thing the salesman who isn't making any money, you know, if he has to close this deal, it changes the way you interact and it makes you untrustworthy and unlikable.
1: One of one of the things in in Andrews and Roy's book, Rainmaking. It's a quote that I've used for years and I Mm -hmm. love it. It's called the philanthropic matchmaker. It's a whole definition that they put in there and it's about matching people who want to do good with the opportunities to do good. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, it's about empowering the donor. Just like with, with Harry, I, I think is what I called him. You know, I turned him into a superhero and And that's yeah. all these people want to be, and it's it's not about the millions of people, it's about the one or two people that they help in doing it yeah it's and we do so much of teaching our fundraisers all our great stories and all our stats. we don't do a good enough job of teaching them how to sit there and ask the questions and learn yeah. about their donors and and really get to engage and match match. Then find out what the donors goals are and right. then match their goals with their mission.
0: Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, completely agree. So yeah, let's uh yeah, jump in a little bit. Tell me tell me about this book that you're writing or have written.
1: So it's that. I've written it. It's um it's available at my site fundraisingis.com. Um but it's Hopefully it's, it's the first of a couple of books, but it's called fundraising is everything done before asking for money. And it, again, it's driven by the clients that I work with. You know, you, you can't walk into a situation and just start raising money. It just doesn't happen. You, you know, especially major gifts. I mean, sure you can set up a bank sale and you'll make some money that day, but yeah. you're not going to accomplish missions. Um, You, you know, by getting people to connect with, with um, their affinity and and how they want to help. And there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, there's, there's everything from training your people on how to ask and, and how to tell your story to making sure you have all the resources set up so that you can collect money. You know, do you have, um, you know, a donor management system? Do you have a way for people to give online in person? Um, legacy gifts. Do you have um your acknowledgement plan and your stewardship plan set up? I mean, there's there's so much more that goes into fundraising than just asking for money. That's the tip of the iceberg.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's great. So uh is this your first book, you said?
1: It's my first book. Okay. Um and, and so you know, Twenty-five years ago, when I got started in the professional world—or I guess thirty-five years ago now—when I got started in the fr- professional world, I never would have thought I would be writing a book. But, um, you know, it's funny—the crazy conversations—and this is actually a conversation that I had with a donor of a former cl- client of mine, or I guess they're still a client. He's on the board. He owns a publishing company. I was talking about some of my blogs and he said, you know, we need something like that for our library. So, you know, that's the way connections happen. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's been, um, I'm so glad that I can still learn a lot. Cause I will tell you, this has been a learning experience going through the whole publishing process. Um, so, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's been educational. You never knew, you know, from, Everything from designing the cover to the size of the book to, I mean, there's so many aspects and um, just like in my book, there's so much that goes into fundraising. There's a lot that goes into every little thing that we do these days.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is like a total side point here. But just when you were talking about, um, you know, do you have a way to receive payment? This is not the thing that I typically talk about on this show because it's not my focus at all. Um, but I was on a nonprofit's website the other day and uh, I, I just like wanted to see what their donate page looks like. So I clicked on donate and then I scrolled down and one of the options was Apple Pay, which is like so easy to anyone who uses Apple Pay on their iPhone. Like instead of, you know, if you want to go buy something, instead of filling out all that information, you just press the button. And then, like, you're done. (laughs) And it's like, it made me, I was like, I had, I was not considering at all donating to this organization. But just the fact that they had that super familiar Apple Pay button was like, man, this would be so easy. Like, I, and so I think that, that, you know, removal of friction for things like that, like somebody just going on your website and setting up a 50 buck a month you know, thing, which again, not my focus at all, but stuff like that. If I were more into like getting, you know, running those types of campaigns, like I feel like you have to put that stuff on your page at this point, just to make those um, transactions as easy as possible.
1: Well, and, you know, Kevin, you'd be amazed at how many groups still don't have any form of online engagement for donations. Um, and I'm talking about groups that have been around for 20 and 30 years, you know, like
0: the only way you can give them money is by mailing a check-in or something.
1: (laughs) Right. Or they, or they use some antiquated form of PayPal, you know, and and so they're paying absorbent fees and, you know, and, and they're downloading it to something else. And then they're uploading it to their donor management system or they're putting it into a spreadsheet. You know, I can't tell you how many groups still use spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, Wow. So, you know, it's, it's, but hey, that's why I have a job. So I'm happy.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Patrick, this was great. Is there anything else you'd like to share uh, or promote? Um, Anything I missed that you'd like to talk about?
1: No, I, you know, again, I think you, you cover lots of these things in your podcast. So I want to leave plenty of, of material for other podcasts, but I just, I want to reiterate that it's important that, that fundraisers practice. It's, it's, it's the difference between a zero, you know, to to the left of that decimal yeah. um, on your ability to raise money. And, and it's, um, and the other thing is is don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the questions that I, I say ask me about is um uh, what's the biggest advice I could give nonprofits? And that's ask. Ask mm-hmm. more. You know, Target hits me up probably 10 times a week. Yeah. Trying to tell me to buy this, that, or the other thing. Um, do I does it bother me? No. But you know, it keeps me informed of what's on sale there and it may be important to me at some time. You yeah. know, don't give people opportunities not to give to you. Right. So ask more.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Patrick. People can find you at, it looks like your consulting website is pbjmarcom.net. If they yep. want to find out about the book, fundraisingis.com. Is that yes, it? Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Patrick. And uh, look forward to talking to you soon.
1: Best of luck to both of us. Take care, Kevin.
0: That was Patrick Belcher with PBJ Marcom. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And uh, feel free to check my website, onevisitaway.com. I've got some great resources there and information to hopefully inspire you to go schedule more visits. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, I hope it's inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from bringing some family some chicken tenders from Hardee's and helping them become the superhero in their own giving journey.